The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Kids, stop bobbing for computer languages and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 503 with guests Christian Beyer and Dominic Beyer, recorded live Tuesday, November 24, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, the NRTV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms, WPF, Silverlight, and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who discreetly shifts his bits in public places, Carl Franklin. Thanks a lot, Lawrence. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin, New London, Connecticut. Richard Campbell in Vancouver, British Columbia. Hey, Mr. Campbell. Howdy, howdy, howdy. It's another day. It is another day and another good week. Another good show. Let's uh, get started right away with a little thing we call Better Know Framework. Excellent. Yeah. So have you ever had a couple of streams, like maybe a memory stream and a file stream, and you want to get data from one stream into the other stream? You know what you got to do? Stream it. You got to read out of one into an array and then write the array into the other. Yes, and suck up all that memory in the process. Yeah, yeah, and extra overhead. So wouldn't it be great if you had a stream.copy2 method, which could copy directly to another stream? No kidding. Yeah, you'd think that it would take four versions of .NET for them to figure that out. So <laughs> in .NET 4.0, stream.copy2. That's really? it. Congrat, you know, that's it. That's your jewel of a piece of information for the day. That is a gem, my friend. a little friend. gem. My friend Carl just found me a nugget. That's I, exciting. I deliver. That's what I do. <laughs> so who's yakking at us? Oh, well, I got a pretty good email, actually. I don't know if it compares to your little gem there, man, because that there's nothing more to be said. It's amazing. It's just that's it. Is that it? Nothing more to say. Can't Maybe. do a whole show around that. But, nope. You know. But there you go. There you, you want this. You want that. Let me read this email to you and see if you don't have the answer to the question. Okay. Hello, Carl and Richard. Here's a suggestion for a show. I'd like to listen to someone that has an educated opinion on the issues of versioning SQL Server objects, such as store procedures, schemas, triggers, indexes, etc. I'm currently working in a very small in-house dev team. We don't have rigid formal processes 
for development, staging, test, and production environments. We manage this with a test environment and a production environment. We are basically maintaining and developing our own operational system with a little bit of imagination. I guess it could be described as an ERP system. Hmm. Anyway, the application code we naturally have in source code repositories. I would frankly feel very uncomfortable without source control. However, the changes we do to the database are not kept in a source control at a rigid enough level. We use SQL Server 2005, and it is so damn easy to fire up Management Studio and do a modify on a stored procedure. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we fix small bugs. Sometimes we update the database to reflect changes in the business. It would be nice if you could set up Management Studio to work like Visual Studio so that you could basically not have to bypass source control. I'm not afraid of losing the latest and greatest of the SQL Server objects since we do have working procedures for backing up the databases. But I do like the ability to track changes over time. It can be very valuable in the process of learning about the evolution of software. How do small shops do that? I've heard you talk about the blame tools in TFS. (laughs) Can these be used on SQL Server objects without resorting to explicit scripting? I'm very aware that one answer to this is to introduce more formal change management. But we want to use our scarce budgets to bring value to the business and not on added overhead in the IT department. Last but not least, you have an awesome show. Just keep up the good work. Regards from Johan Sundström. Johan Sundström, the winner of the first TechEd Europe contest. Indeed, from Finland. Yeah. Good guy. Hi, Johan. How are you? Thanks for listening. And we're going to send you a mug, Johan. Thanks very much. So, Richard, what's the answer? What do you think the answer is by Fred Carl? What do you think the answer is? Well, I think the answer is the Database Professional Edition of Visual Studio. Of course it is. Because it does exactly, to the letter, what Johan described. It's all about data, dude. Well, it's all about the, data, dude. It's all about data, dude. And the the thing that's magic for anybody who's not played with the database edition of uh, Visual Studio is that you start treating your database like source code. Mm-hmm. The the schema, the actual table structures and so forth, that's all you look at. Normally in databases, and this is what Johan's struggling with, is that you're constantly keeping these changed scripts. How do I make the old database into the new one without destroying the data? And that's what the tool does totally automatically for you it'll show you the differences between the old the version 2 database and the version 3 database and actually write the script for you so you can see every single change you want to make and and my friend i have done this because it's magic it'll roll back yeah that's so right. if you actually say i need to go from version 3 back to version 2 it'll adjust the schema back to the original structure without destroying any data that is so awesome it's magic it is magic yeah and we don't need to show blame because we can just go backwards. And this is the thing. The same show blame tools that work on Studio TFS will work on this as well because you now get to check your SQL Server database into source into control to exactly source the same control. way. Source control on the database. It'll also work with MS Build exactly the same way. It it has this little engine that you ship with your deployment to actually apply the changes to the database. It is really magic, and it's a shame more people don't know about this. Yes, indeed. So, Johan, I'm sending you a mug. And uh, if anybody else would like a mug, fire us an email at .NET rocks at franklins.net. So, Richard, what's the uh, current state of my .NET story? Well, my .NET story started just before PDC. Yep. And the first round of contestants, we had a chance to interview all of them. And uh, they're coming up on some shows in the immediate future. And But the contest is still going on. So you have until the end of December to get involved in this. And what Microsoft's looking for is great apps built in .NET. 
And uh, you go to my.netstory.com and you can enter the contest. And if you win, you get to go to the Galapagos. Or you get a smart car. I'd go to the Galapagos. I'd go to the Galapagos too. <laughs> I'm just saying. Just saying. Our guests today in rhyme are Christian Weyer and Dominic Beyer. Spelled differently, they're homonyms, right? <laughs> Almost. Christian Weyer is found, uh, co-founder of ThinkTexture, a European company aiding and supporting software architects and developers in designing and implementing distributed solutions architectures. He has been modeling and implementing distributed applications with Java, Com, DCOM, Com Plus, web services, and other technologies. Christian has been focusing on the ideas and concepts of service orientation and their practical translation in customer projects in the past few years with Windows Communication Foundation, Windows Workflow Foundation, and cloud computing being the main areas in technologies applied recently. Christian's views on architecture and distributed solutions are considered both mature and innovating. The national and international developer and architect community knows Christian from his weblog, webcasts, forum activities, user group talks, and conference performances. He was uh, selected as one of the Microsoft MVPs for Connected Systems and is an independent Microsoft Regional Director for Germany. Dominic Beyer is an internationally recognized expert for security of .NET and Windows applications. He supports companies worldwide with design and implementation of security features in their software as a security consultant at ThinkTexture. Dominic is also a trainer and author at DevelopMentor, focusing on the .NET security and WCF curriculum. As one of the few developer security Microsoft MVPs, he works directly with various security teams in Redmond. One of the offspring of this cooperation is the book Developing More Secure Microsoft ASP.NET 2.0 Applications, which quickly became the book for ASP.NET Security. The book. You can find a wealth of security-related resources as well as conference slide decks and tools sample code at Dominic's blog at www.leastprivilege.com. Welcome, guys. Hey. Hi, Carl. Hi. How are you? Great. Thank you. How are you? Doing just fine. So, guys, we're talking Identity Foundation in the real world. You're building apps today using this stuff. So let's start at the beginning. What are you doing? So um, we are here at ThinkTexture, and we have a couple and a growing number of customers who are looking for real-world um, application of all these space technologies like the Windows Identity Foundation. And we at ThinkTexture have been doing in the past, let's say, six to 12 months, a couple of projects applying these technologies, and we have been building um, some expertise around them. We have been building some libraries and code on top of the base technologies, and we have also been building, well, some products that we are flowing back into the community to even uh, the pain of applying the identity-based um, model of security uh, for authentication, for authorization, and personalization stuff. Are these applications also distributed applications? Are they single standalone websites, a mixture of both? They are always distributed applications, as Dominic will surely confirm. Absolutely, yeah. So that's that's where the fun starts really. I mean if you're having a single you know, a single consumer of security then 
this whole thing, you know, kind of doesn't really make that much sense as it could be. Yeah? But if you are having like, you, you know, I, I always try to compare that with, you know, Active Directory. You never would install an Active Directory for one single machine. Right. But if you're having a number of machines, yeah, then it, it, it suddenly starts to make sense to have, you know, more more infrastructure around that, yeah. And that's that's the idea, really. Um, um, I mean, um, the claims-based model, and I'm not sure if we should start with philosophy, but <laughs> um, the, the claims-based model makes sense in all kinds of situations, but it really makes a lot of sense if you're having a fairly large application around it. So when when we're talking about a distributed system, let's start there. Where what's a typical architecture look like? Let's you know starting with the hardware. With the hardware. Well, I don't mean the spec of the hardware, but you know where w- you'd have a a couple of databases, one database, uh, multiple websites, and application server. I don't think that the number of databases is the relevant thing. I think it's the number of endpoints that need to consume identity. Okay. So l- let's give you a, a really practical example. I mean, um, I'm, I'm sure you have seen at least once in your life a Christian's tech teacher application. Mm-hmm. Have you? So, so, so the idea is here that there are a number of endpoints. There is a website. There are a number of clients. Uh, that's WinForms and WPF and ASP.NET and Java even and all other kinds of, you know, esoteric things. Yeah? And once you have a critical amount of, you know, players in the system, then we made the experience that the claims-based model, and or more particularly the APIs in the Windows Identity Foundation, um, make it easier to develop such applications. So m- maybe we're talking one website, maybe a couple of th- of sites that are, or machines that are providing services. Okay. So, we have clients. Well, the thing the thing is this: um, when you talk to you know Microsoft, for example, and they talk about the, the Windows Identity Foundation, it for them it's all about federation and claims and all these you know these big important words in the industry at the moment. Yeah, um, but um, in in my experience. Um, Typically, you have to solve much more lower-level problems to start with. So, for example, a, a very typical problem uh, I have, or I had in, in the past, is I have to sup- write an application which supports more than one credential type. Okay? So, I, I mean, Richard, you are, you are an ASP.NET dev. You know that ASP.NET is not really built for that, right? No, it's not. Mm. It's one type of authentication, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, so, so when you're having the problem that you have to support, you know, Windows... Windows uh, clients, uh, certificates, or username and password in a single application, yeah. Yeah, things get really, really messy. Yeah? Yes. So a good example, for example, is SharePoint. Yeah? I'm, uh, I've been recently looking at SharePoint, yeah? and the way they solve that problem, you know that? They have two different um, you know, um, URLs to, to start with. So there's one URL if you are a Windows client and one URL if you are a form authentication client, for example. Right, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's pretty much all you can do in ASP.NET, really. You could do more um, before IIS-7, but the unification of the pipeline you know, made some mm-hmm. changes to the underlying model, and yeah, yeah. basically, it is not supported. Yeah. So, um, so when you when you have that requirement, you you know you start hacking your way through somehow. You, I mean, given enough time and effort, you can solve that problem. Yeah. 
but looking at the code afterwards, it, it's pretty ugly, right? You're having mm. a lot of ifs, like if this is a Windows, right. user, then use Windows Identity. If that is a certificate user, then you have to look at X509 certificate too. If it's a forms authentication user, then there's a forms identity flowing around somewhere. Right. Yeah, right, right, right. But there are all these things, yeah, the, you have to do internally, yeah, um, to unify these things, yeah. And um, for me, one of I think one of the most important things that WIF does is it gives us an official new principle type yeah, um, called claims principle, and it derives from I principle, mm-hmm. which makes it compatible with all existing frameworks yeah, mm. to unify all of these um, credential types or credential representations. Yeah? Mm. That's maybe mm-hmm. the better word. So if you are challenged with building such an application, then... That's one thing, yeah, because the WIF can abstract away these um, low-level technical details into a new representation called a claims principle. That doesn't provide all of those other modes of authentication. It provides a new mode that can have the strength and flexibility of all the others. Is that what you're saying? Mm, well, first of all, it provides a new representation of identity, yeah. regardless of how you authenticate it in the first place. Mm-hmm. So... I'm not talking yet about security token systems and all these things, yeah? I'm just talking about a piece of plumbing sitting in your application which looks at the incoming principle and converts it to a unified representation. So it's just an abstraction sitting over top of all these different security strategies so that you only have to do one test. Exactly. So basically, looking at all these different security, you know, concepts we have, yeah? One is talking about roles, one is talking about groups, uh, certificates talk about properties, and in, at, at the end of the day, you can all abstract them away using the claims model saying, here's a statement about a user made by someone else, and that's it. So if I wanted to authenticate them against Active Directory, or if yep. I wanted them to just provide a username and password? Again, yeah, um, we are not, uh, at least I am not at the moment at a point talking about security token services which externalize authentication, mm-hmm. yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just saying the first and um, maybe most fundamental piece of plumbing in DAPIF is this uh, unification aspect. Okay? So you're still having a normal Ethernet application. Um, you're still having maybe different types of authentication, but what arrives in your code is this unified representation of identity called the claims principle. Exactly. And this even is true for any kind of application. So this does not necessarily have to be a distributed application. It can be any kind of a console app or a Windows app or whatever. It just gives you, as Richard um, mentioned, it just gives you that abstraction on top of all the other authentication modes or models. But the the real point here being that I could still use the same old security systems I've always been using. If I want to use forms authentication, that's fine but I can check that through WIF now? Yep. Exactly. That's absolutely true, yeah? And that's the beauty. I think um, even, you know, if the industry or, or Microsoft, whoever, um, would like, would love to see us move to claims and token services tomorrow morning, right. yeah? <laughs> this won't happen. But as I said, for me, the most fundamental thing is, first of all, the unification of identity. And after that, we can think about externalizing authentication to new types of plumbing. I get it. So so this is just another way to do what we're already doing against in authenticating against the the, uh, stores, I I suppose you would say, and and authorities that we already have set up. And then once we're doing that, we can move into the future. Exactly. 
And the, the real beauty for me um, in WIF is, I mean, mm, like, I don't know, last year, or roughly one year ago, um, we spoke to Harvey Wilson, which was like the architect at the time, and he, he said something really interesting, and, and that, that sticks till today. He said, my main focus for that framework was make everything public, make everything virtual. So that means, basically, mm. you can plug in wherever you want, yeah, and that's really good, yeah. So when you're looking at WIF as it is today, they have built in WCF and ASP.NET support out of the box. But if you look at the code, it's all built on their public interface. So you can basically WIF enable arbitrary applications and at, at some point get, get to the same claims model everywhere you, you know, basically write code. So I'm still trying to get my head around what this new if statement looks like. The, the, instead of having to check for what security systems I'm using, what, I'm, what I have to check on, I have one okay. check, right? What does that look like? So basically, um, instead of doing an if um, and then branching into separate or different CLR types like Windows Identity and so on and so forth, yeah? Right. You're basically always working on the same CLR type called Claims Principle, but there, there's a, a collection inside of that called the Claims Collection, which has different, you know, content based on the identity coming in your application. So, for example, um, typically every, every Claims Principle has a name or Claims Identity, to be more precise, has a name property or a name claim, okay? Right. So, so that's maybe the, the most, you know, the, the most common or the, the least common denominator you can, you know, um, rely on. But then, if it's, a, if it's a certificate, for example, there's another claim called um, public key, for example. Yeah? Right. Or there could be a claim called X5, uh, X500 name, yeah? if it's a, a certificate. If it's a Windows account, they have claims called groups, or a group, yeah? where all your Windows groups are um, inside. If it's a username, well... There's not much we can say about it, yeah. Mm. So if the so is this if statement just a big or that says if you have this claim or this claim or this claim you pass? Um, it depends, yeah. Um, well, if you are not if you don't use a token, then these claims that get transformed from the low level, you know, authentication um, details are typically something we call identity claims, yeah. So these claims just describe the identity of that incoming user. So uh, for a Windows user, that's typically a name yeah, and some groups. For a certificate, that's typically a subject name and some properties. For a username, it's a username. So based on the scenario outlined before, where I have a Windows user authenticating one way and I have the ASP user authenticating, say, via forms, I still have to, I'm, the claims themselves aren't unified. I still have to check all the claims. I just check them through one set of classes. Yes. Okay. The, the so I mean, I'm okay with the or statement. The, the type holding them is one unified type now. Right. And so that's, I mean, it's way better, but this is not like I'm just checking one thing. Is he right. authenticated? I'm still saying he could have this certificate or he could be approved by this. It's a big or statement, but that's better than it was. Well, at least it works, right? You can have all these uh, authentication models on the same box. Exactly. And also because um, WIF itself is so open, um, you could think of, you know, um, in the future, you, you have to support secure ID, for example. Yeah? Right. And you can just write a little shim which translates the secure ID specific data to a claims principle. And again, you are in the same programming model. 
Yeah, no, I I agree. This is something I had not realized about WIF, and I think that's it's really important. Which is keep using the authentications you've always used. Now you can write your you can do your code more easily, the simpler coding model to get the same exactly. results. Exactly, exactly. And as I said, this is in no way limited to WCF or ASP.NET. It's just it happens that they ship these two plumbings in the box because these are the most common ones. Yeah. Right. Are there other uh, implementations here besides those these WCF and ASP.NET? Um, I don't know of any other plans. Not I mean, yet. On the other hand, what else is missing? Um, I don't know really. <laughs> so what is a Starter STS and Starter RP? Okay. So, so basically, the stuff we talked about so far is basically you don't change anything about your authentication infrastructure you just get a new type in code that makes it easier to work with. Okay. okay. Now, uh, a security token service basically is a piece of plumbing that can externalize authentication. And the nice thing is that, you know, for, for example, when you are authenticating with Active Directory, yeah, um, you, you get back a, 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 something they call a service ticket from, from, the, a, uh, from, from the domain controller. Mm-hmm. And, they put information about the client in that ticket. But Kerberos itself is limited to basically putting in a username and a list of groups I'm a member of. Okay? Yeah. So basically what happens now is um, typically when this package of information arrives at your application, then you have to do your own local mapping somehow to things that make sense in your application. Yeah? Yeah. With a security token service, basically, um, a security token service is very, very similar to um, a domain controller, but it uses a different token format. It isn't fixed to Kerberos tickets, which is fixed in format because, you know, we can't change Kerberos, yeah, um, easily at least, yeah. Um, right. But a security token service emits um, a so-called, well, typically a so-called SAML token. And SAML stands for Security Assertion Markup Language and is an extensible token format. So the nice thing is um, a security token service basically can emit arbitrary information about that user inside of that token. And when this token flows to the application, the same WIF plumbing cracks up that token, looks at it, and turns the values into claims, and you get the same programming model again. That's cool. Yeah. So one common model here. Exactly. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who bring you the new TFS Work Item Manager and TFS Project Dashboard. So if you're spending a lot of time on organizing the cluttered pile of work items in TFS, get ready for a fresh and intuitive experience. The guys at Telerik just launched the TFS Work Item Manager and Project Dashboard, a couple of free tools designed to make working with Team Foundation Server faster and easier. Unlike the standard TFS Explorer, the Work Item Manager lets you take advantage of powerful capabilities like filtering, as you type search, grouping and aggregation, and iteration scheduling. You can even see all the work items in a Scrum dashboard view, as if watching the whiteboard in your own room. Project Dashboard is a unique tool for visualizing TFS data. Useful for both developers and project managers, it helps you keep track of the latest TFS project activity like current iteration progress, build history, recent check-ins, assigned tasks and bug history, and to understand the health of the project as a whole. The TFS tools are brought to you by Telerik and Imaginet, the experts in application lifecycle management. 
built with rad controls for WPF. They're both amazingly flexible and responsive. Go to Telerik.com and download the TFS tools for free. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. I'm still getting my head around the sort of strategy of all of the different kinds of claims that you might make within within an application, these different levels of security you're checking. I'm, I almost feel like a, an if statement is the wrong thing to do, that I don't want to hard code in the security requirements in the app. I need some kind no. of data model that says, for these method calls, you need, you know, it's a it's a data mapping that way. Is there how do you do this correctly? Well, What's and, the and, pattern and like? also Richard, and how what happens if you? I mean, you have to have some sort of exception handling there because what happens if you go to do something that requires a claim and you don't have one? So there's always got to be that code in there, anyhow. Yeah, what does that pattern look like, Dom? Okay, so WIF includes something called the claims authorization manager and. You can roughly compare it to, to, to the URL authorization mechanism in ASP.NET. Okay. So, so basically, it's a piece of plumbing sitting somewhere in your pipeline. Maybe WCF, maybe ASP.NET, or where, what else? Or maybe it's your console application or your client, yeah? It doesn't really matter, but WIF can be used everywhere, okay? Um, so the idea is this. Um, you don't um, code claim values or requirements into your source code. Basically, what you're saying is um, you clicking the button, um, you know, delete customer, then I um, require that you are authorized to delete a customer. Right. Okay? And, and this, this information goes into the claims authorization manager, and this has the freedom to turn this, you know, um, action, delete customer, into some sort of claim type that has to be present on the current user's claims principle. So are you... As a developer, how am I coupling that method to the authentication manager or the permissions manager? Well, there are several ways. So first of all, there is um, for ASP.NET, there's a claims authorization HTTP module, mm -hmm. which basically um, gets the chance to look at the request. In the WCF, there's the, there's the same thing. Yeah? You, can, you can basically call it manually, like claims access. Or you can use a claims principle permission, which is the same vein as principle permission. Or you can use the claims principle permission attribute, which is the same as principle permission attribute, just in the claims world. So, so there are, you know, like four or five ways how you can invoke this thing. Inside of the authorization manager, you have the freedom, basically, you, you could even load external policy that maps permissions to claim types, for example. Yeah, that's, that's just a, you know, general purpose extensibility hook. So essentially, I'm able to decorate my classes with these uh, attributes of what claims are required to them. Like, like, like it just did like, since version 1.0 of .NET, basically. Same idea as principal permission. If you like that, you can use claims principal permission. If you don't like that, you can do it in code Im imperatively. Okay, okay. And I, I think that's important to clarify here that folks that have been doing this have a, a, their head around, yeah, this is very possible. And... and improving it sounds like it's becoming easier to do i yeah i don't like the if model i i want this more declarative the message is, is very important never ever dear developers yeah never ever write code that directly checks for a specific claim and a specific value in your code keep that you know level of abstraction called the claims authorization manager to map these things because these things will change over time. Well, I, I totally agree, Dom. And, and the big thing for me is recognizing that the guy who actually configures the security rules, who says that needs its own permission and this guy has it, is not the developer. 
It needs exactly. to have an interface external to the code. I can't recompile every time you need to change security. Right. Exactly. So, so, so coming back to your to your question, what is Starter SDS? Yeah. Uh, basically, um, Microsoft has a you know enterprise ready token service called ADFS, or at least they will have it soon. Yeah. Um, that that stands for Active Directory Federation Services. Right. And this is basically an, a token service which uh, is tightly coupled to Active Directory as its um, user database. Okay, so, so, so the idea is really, you're having an, an existing Active Directory, you install ADFS, and you are, you're basically taking part in the claims world now with all of your AD users. Right. Yeah? Yeah. So that is fine. ADFS is a brilliant product. It, um, it works. It is enterprise-ready. It has all kinds of, you know, enterprise-y features. Yeah? <laughs> enterprise the, the problem is this. We have customers which don't have AD. Well, sure. yeah. Yep. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and basically, uh, the funny thing is, I, I think I, I wrote my first STS with, uh, at, at, at a time, it was called IDFX. And from IDFX, they changed to CERMAT. And from CERMAT, they changed to Geneva. And from Geneva, they changed to WIF. Yeah. Right. And the, the problems were always the same. What do I do if I don't have Active Directory? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's the reason, basically, why, because um, why I started more or less in my spare time bringing together an open source token service, which uses the ASP.NET provider infrastructure behind. So basically, I'm using membership providers for authentication. I'm using role provider to provide role claims, and I'm using profile to provide other arbitrary claims. Mm. And yeah, basically the idea is, um, first of all, if you need, if you need to get quickly up and running with an SDS, that's the way to go. Um, if you need a learning tool to understand how does an SDS work, I mean, beyond the SDK samples, which are, you know, which show the mechanics, but don't show the real world scenarios, yeah? That is, you know, good source code to read, I hope, yeah? Um, I want to make one thing very sure, uh, very clear. It's not a production-ready STS in the sense of that I will support it, okay? <laughs> it works pretty well. I mean, we use it uh, internally all the time. Parts of the code goes into customer projects. Parts of the code come from customer projects. But exactly. I'm just not, uh, I, I don't want to say this is basically like your ADFS alternative, just download, install, and party on. I mean, it yeah. is still a developer thing in my, in my mind at least, yeah? yeah? And an important point is uh, that we have a community edition out there on Codeplex. It's on startersds.codeplex.com. And the .NET Rocks um, fan club is invited to go there and download the Starter SDS together with the Starter RP, the Starter Relying Party, which is a sample application on how um, a web application or a WCF um, service can actually consume tokens that have been issued by this very Starter STS. So starter STS is the server side and RP is effectively the client side. Well, no. Uh, starter STS is the security token service and starter RP because the RP stands for relying party, which is the official word inside of the identity meta system world for the actual consuming application uh, that a, a client application talks to or a client talks to. So a relying party can be an ASP.NET application or a, a relying party can be a WCF application where a, let's call it a smart client application, talks to this very relying party. The point being you're always going to use these things together. 
Well, I mean, yes. I mean, relying party is just another name for application that uses an STS. <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. And, yeah, the, the interesting thing here is that there are plenty of folks out there that don't have Active Directory, but they want to start using this stuff, and, and so this is a solution to that. Yep. If you can handle ASP.NET providers, um, then you're fine, yeah? And that's the whole thing, is it is ASP.NET provider modeled? Yep. I mean, you can directly install it, run it, and you can start with a blank membership database, blank, you know, role tables, and so on, and you can just, you know, create your users. Or you have an existing thing and plug that in, yeah. And, but, again, it's it's open source, it's on Codeplex, use yep. it at your own risk. Yes. I mean, I am really happy to help people and, and to support it, but yeah, in the end, I don't want to make res- <laughs> made responsible for, you know, causing some security problem somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And an important point is, of course, that, uh, and that's in line with what Dominic already said, is that uh, a lot of code uh, goes into Starter SDS, which we wrote for customer projects, as well as code which we wrote for Starter SDS goes into customer projects back. So uh, it's really uh, full of best practices and a lot of experiences when it comes to writing security token services beyond the typical Hello World style. Yeah, but who would, who needs to write a security token service, really? Well, I mean, if you're staying in the Microsoft world, basically everyone who can't use ADFS for some reason. Yeah, I mm. guess that gets back to the question of, even if you're not using AD internally, I have seen situations yep. where customers have set up an AD server just to deal with authentication of their web server. Is this Because mm. AD is free, right? You just need a server license for it. Why wouldn't you do that? Well, I mean, for example, um, well, the very first project I did, yeah, with um, at the time, at the time it was called Sermat. Um, it, it was a healthcare thing, and um, it, it was a completely heterogeneous environment running in a in a in a hospital. They right. didn't have AD, full stop, but they needed an, a token service. So basically, as I said, the first scenario I had was it was just a no go to install AD. The second scenario I often see is um, that it's, uh, you know, the servers that need to, you know, re- receive their tokens are, are, are in, in the DMC. So the, the next thing I'm, I'm basically seeing is that um, um, ADFS, as far as I know, is, um, is a server role to Windows Server 2008 right. R2. And yeah. again, this is something not every customer has installed, right? I just think that people have made a bigger deal out of Active Directory than they really need to. I mean, I, I totally agree. I mean, um, I, I love AD, and I think um, when you have your users in AD, it's perfect to use ADFS. I'm just, I'm just saying, yeah, the last, the last two and a half years, I'm, I'm, I've been talking about these things to customers, and this came up over and over again. Okay? So just out of curiosity, so, what are they using instead of AD? Yeah, well, all kinds of, you know, strange stuff, yeah? I mean, for example, in the hospital, they, they were using a mixture of, you know, Excel spreadsheets and uh, Unix systems and some Windows boxes and so on. Exactly. So, um, just in 2008, I was at three customers here in Germany, and maybe that's German or a European thing, I'm not sure about that. They had a lot of identity silos, identity isolated um, databases, one in SQL Server, the other one in Access, and they just needed to to uh, to have 
a identity management solution based on that. And of course, I talked to them and I asked them, why don't you use or why don't you uh, install um, Active Directory? And they said, hey, we are here in Germany. We are at that very big and large company. We cannot just introduce Active Directory into our network. That's not possible. That sounds very German, actually. <laughs> yeah, we already used that joke or, once. Or at least uh, Central European, please. Okay. But, but I, I mean, the point I was trying to make here is I don't, there's always this presumption that if I introduce Active Directory, I have to put it on everything. I change the authentication scheme for my workstations and so forth. But I could just use AD as an authentication store for a website, nothing else. And, yeah. and that yeah. would be mm -hmm. fine. But then again, in order to use ADFS v2, and this is what Dominic was uh, talking about, so Active Directory Federation Services version 2, you would need to have Windows Server 2008 R2. And this is not uh, something that a lot of people uh, already have or will upgrade to in the foreseeable future. Well, maybe that's again a German thing, but it is, of course, a big um, problem for people to jump onto a new OS and a new server OS just uh, shortly when it came available. That's not going to happen here. Right. And also, I mean... Just to make one thing very, very clear, um, I'm not, or, or we are not trying to compete with ADFS2. No, 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 In my mind, it's still primarily a learning tool how to write a, a token service for specialized, for specialized situations where ADFS doesn't fit the bill. Right. So the, you, they mean the normal answer here is ADFS, but yeah, you're yeah, going to run into circumstances where it's not. And, and yeah. I and I was the one who asked the question, "What is starter STS?" So I blame myself. That's not a problem. No, no, no. Uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's an important asset uh, that we have built, and that we think that a lot of other, especially developers, uh, can benefit from. Because again, I don't see that uh, all of the, the developers we know and the, the customers of these developers or consulting shops uh, will have the possibility to just jump onto ADFS v2. I don't see it. Yeah, and, and like you said, the requirement for 2008 R2 is the more difficult element of that, even than yeah. ADFS. Yeah. Because then you need IT people for sure, and, you know, they're grumpy. I mean, we have customers who still are running on Windows 2000, right? <laughs> yeah, well, because it, it works. Yep. All right, guys. I mean, I, mm. I'm really excited about the way you've, you've showing how to use IAF, that, that the whole new claims and token authentication, all that, that's not even the essential part to this. Right. It's, a, it's a better front end on it. Well, I, I, I'm not saying it's, it's non-essential. I'm just saying, for me, that's the first thing to point out. That's the hook. And then afterwards <laughs> come all the fancy stuff like SAML and WS star and so on. Yeah. yeah. But um, once you understood this first part, that WIF just cracks open incoming tokens regardless of what type they are, right. and turns them into a one principle uh, representation, that's the most important thing for me. Yeah, no, that's a happy place to be, no doubt about it. Yeah. Where where do you see WS Star these days? It seems like basically people have given up on it because it's just been too hard to deal with. <laughs> well, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure why you are thinking this, because maybe you have been following the cloud space at Microsoft and especially at last week's PDC. Well, I think maybe we just haven't, you know, and honestly, we were working at PDC. We didn't really get a chance to see. I, we didn't even get a chance uh, okay. to see the keynote because we were interviewing people. 
But um, we would. I think what's going to make the difference here is if we see something. So Richard and I were IMing while you guys were talking, while Dominic was talking. Maybe this would be perfect for DNR TV. Yeah. You know, to actually go through the steps and see what how how it works. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because I got a feeling it's a lot easier than we. I mean, you know, uh, developers are just typically afraid of security because it's a limitation, right? Developers hate security. So on. On the Coldblack site, startersds.coldblack.com, there are free screencasts I did, which basically show how easy it is to set it up and okay. get your applications, um, you know, wired up to it. So Great. I think that, that that's a good place to start. Okay, awesome. Based on your suggestion to do a Dotted Rocks TV show, uh, it would be great to to see an end-to-end scenario maybe in 15 minutes or something like that to, to show how all the pieces fall together and then it's qu- quite obvious uh, how powerful the concept of an STS is and how how sexy it is to to implement uh, both the, the STS side and the relying party slash the application side with the Windows Identity Foundation. Now, you've got some apps out in the wild, Christian. Maybe you could talk through the end-to-end model here. What's the client like? What's the server like? And so forth. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, usually, well, in maybe, let's call it uh, 70 to 30 or 80 to 20, we have typical setups with ASP.NET applications. And in the middle tier or in the back tier or back-end tier, we have some services whether it's um, ASMX web services or WCF services or Java um, services. And then each of these services is usually talking to one or several, well, data stores or databases, right? Um, but there is an emerging uh, number of customers and clients here in Germany and Austria and Switzerland, also in the UK and in Scandinavia, which deal with a with a vast variety of well client platforms. So, for example, we have customers who do a lot with uh, Windows Forms and also uh, Windows Mobile devices. So that means that on the Windows Mobile devices, they are trying to build um, Windows Forms applications based on .NET Compact Framework, right? Then. Uh, this very same customer has now um, <laughs> has now found out that the iPhone is quite a sexy um, device, and now they start building applications, client-side UI applications for the iPhone as well. And all these types of client applications, so the Windows Forms on the Compact Framework on the Windows Mobile device, the um, the app on the iPhone, as well as the, the common Windows Forms application on the core of that framework, they try to authenticate uh, to a security token service and try to to talk to several relying parties, which are several WCF-based services where they get all their data from, right? So um, what we have been doing in the past few weeks to past few months is we tried to solve this, this end-to-end story that not just ASP.NET or Windows Forms or WPF, so .NET-enabled applications on the on the core .NET platform can talk to STSs and relying parties, but also, well, non-.NET applications. So we have a bunch of Java applications talking to security token services, requesting 
tokens from the SDS and then passing it over to the relying party. And we have also uh, the compact framework um, code running as well as the iPhone. So that means that when you write an app for the iPhone, you can actually request a token from a security token service that can be ADFS or that can be the starter SDS or any SDS that you are building or you're using and then send it across uh, the wire to a relying party, for example, to WCF service. No kidding. Authenticated iPhone apps. Wow. There you go. There you go. That's that's the future. And the relying party doesn't really care how the client authenticated in the first place because that's just abstracted away by the token, right? Right. And that's beauty. Exactly. <laughs> that doesn't mean it isn't magic, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> no, it isn't magic, but it's beauty. <laughs> and another important point uh, when you ask about end-to-end is, well, what I just described is kind of the runtime aspect, right? So that I have several applications requesting tokens from the SDS and sending them across the wire. But what about the development? What about the design time? What about the development experience? Right. So what we uh, figured out at several customer uh, projects and workshop is, okay, they get this model, they like it, they see the power in it, they do not yet see the sexiness in it. So what we did is we built some design time controls for Windows Forms and also for WPF, and currently our UI guy is also working on the Silverlight version, where you can, at design time, inside Official Studio, model the, well the personalization of your user interface based on claims. That means he has a property um, grid or he has selectable values inside of the property grid of his control inside of Visual Studio, and he can say, okay, if my application sees uh, the claim of, I don't know, um, role equals administrator, then enable the menu for administrators or enable the button X and disable the button Y, right? So that the actual developer does not have to uh, to care about the plumbing on the client side. He can actually use design time experience in order to, to model the personalization based on claims of the UI. And it all integrates with the existing tools. It's also based uh, on the Windows Identity um, Foundation, and it can talk to ADFS as a, uh, as a security token service, and it can also talk to Starter SDS, because uh, underneath, it actually uses all these open standards and protocols which are implemented uh, by the Windows Identity Foundation. So and what is this project? That's a project that is currently cooking in our uh, private labs. <laughs> ah, okay. And we, and we are planning to release it maybe beginning of next year, so maybe January or February of 2010. And I think we will also put it on to Codeplex because we are a consulting company and we don't, we don't sell products. We just sell our brains, right? Right. So usually when we come up with some interesting code or tools or products, in quotes, then we usually put it either on our blocks or nowadays on the Codeplex. Okay, and but this is going to be a plug-in into Studio so that I can help. It helps me work with the claims model in my code. There you go. Yeah, it's uh, completely integrated in the well-known design time experience of Windows Forms, WPF, and Silverlight. Cool. Well, and it, I think it's one of the problems that developers have is that actually testing your security code is hard. Oh yeah. 
You have to. It's back to the old <laughs> development model. I have to right. compile it, and then depending on what account I log in as, you know, check to see the behavior and so forth. What do you mean I can't do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, screw you! Well, I'm, I'm taking this. I, off. I think that the, the missing piece that that Kristen just alluded to is that um, the whole claims model. Um, well, typically focuses on you know the application, the relying party, which is some sort of back end thing. Yeah. Right. But the thing we added is basically also uh, what about UI authorization? So um, you know, um, I mean, it's nice that I can send a 500 megabyte file to my back end, and it says, well, you're only allowed to upload five megabytes. Yeah. Uh, after I received the 500, yeah? Right. <laughs> That's nice, yeah, but, <laughs> I mean, you typically also want to create out, or, or you want to give some limits on the client, for example. How much megabytes can I upload, for example, yeah? And this is basically what our plumbing is doing, that the developer can, while he's designing the user interface, you know, can basically use the claims already and, you know, modify the UI based on um, the values of these claims. That's cool, yeah. When, uh, sign me up for one of those, please. Okay. Yeah. Done. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So, uh, what's next, guys? Like, what are, we, what are we waiting for Microsoft to ship? Is this all Studio 2010 stuff we're waiting for now? Well, for me personally, I've been busy, literally busy with WIF the last three years. And I, I don't see an end coming because now, finally, yeah. I can tell customers, hey, this is it, and I love it, and I think it's the way to go. And, by the way, it's released now. <laughs> right, yeah. So I think, for me, the real work, the real work uh, starts now. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. We, we, so we actually have all the tools right now to get we do, to we work do, doing yeah. this. That's the thing. We finally have the tools now. To make that point really clear is you don't have to wait for uh, Visual Studio 2010, no, 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 start right now, because... WIF in the current incarnation is actually built on top of .NET 3.5 SP1. So Specifically, you can yeah. start using it right now. There are also some smaller tools for integrating um, some of the WIF uh, features into Visual Studio. So start it right now. Awesome. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Well, guys, uh, I guess that brings us to the end of the show. Uh-huh. Well, thanks. Great. And uh, Thank you, you know, very the, much. every time we talk about this, it becomes a little more and more clear. And I think, um, I think your your case for uh, getting under a unified uh, authentication system with what you have now is probably the the biggest nugget people can take away from this show. That's yeah. a that's a huge plus. Yeah. Hey, Carl, it just took you three shows to get to this point, so maybe we should do another three shows so that it's actually completely clear. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> Not. Uh, no, I think a DNR TV. A DNR TV is, is definitely the next thing. That's a very good idea, right? Yeah, yeah. After that, it will be really very clear. Yeah, I agree. I'm sure. All right, guys, thanks a lot. Cool. Thanks a lot for, for having us. Thank you. Have a good time. All right, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft Development Technology 
with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.